Welcome to the new school. What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. Hello, and welcome to episode number 19 of the New School Video Podcast. My name is Candace Carlton, and I'm the head of advisor education at FICOM Partners, and I'm joined by our CEO, Meg Carpenter. FICOM is a digital marketing and PR firm, and we specialize in the independent wealth management space. In this episode, we actually had the opportunity to interview one of our clients, Adam Cox, who is the Chief Wealth Management Officer at the First National Bank in Sioux Falls, and he's also the host of the podcast, Common Sense on the Prairie. So I think Adam's one quote really sums it up, and he said, if you had told me years ago that I would have forgotten everything there is to know about trusts and would be podcasting and managing a team, I wouldn't have believed you. In this episode, he shares what his journey has been like stepping up to the mic to expand his impact, why he's doing it, why he believes the new school is the future of wealth management, and he tells it through the lens as the head of the wealth management department of the community bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I think you're going to love it. So hi, everyone, and welcome. We're so excited because we've got Adam Cox, who's the Chief Wealth Management Officer of the First National Bank of Sioux Falls out of South Dakota, also host of Common Sense on the Prairie podcast. Adam, thanks for being here. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So Adam, I love your story. We've had the opportunity to work with you and your team, such a unique uh, team, bank, location. And I think like if anyone wants to check out your social media, I think so um, clear, fun, smart. Can you paint a picture for us what it's like, your community in Sioux Falls in South Dakota? Yeah, sure. Happy to do it. Um, so. South Dakota is, is a unique place. Um, I've lived elsewhere. It's kind of unlike anywhere else. Um, we're uh, a really kind of close-knit community. We um, were independent uh, and we're very, very Midwest. So, you know, I've been on the coast a lot um, and have friends out on the coast and you, you really can't describe being from the Midwest unless you just you know someone who, who lives there and it's just uh, we're unique personalities we're very trusting uh and it's it's just a fantastic place to 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 have a family and uh, i cherish that i grew up here and uh love that i get to to live back in back in the midwest so i love because we've got an insight view of your team and the types of clients you work with i think what was really interesting about all the work that you do is you had said to me one day you know, if you told me years ago, I wouldn't be in the subject expert role of trust, mm. but I'd be podcasting and managing a team, I wouldn't have believed you. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, my career has taken on an interesting journey. You know, I, when I started, I you know, went to law school and got my MBA and was really ingrained with being a subject matter expert. And I uh, really took a lot of pride in knowing trust law and uh, states and working with high net worth families. And, and, and I, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and just to kind of nerd out a little bit that, that appealed to me. And, um, and then as I, I grew a little bit, then I thought, you know, maybe managing a team would be something I'd be interested in, not at all knowing what that looked like. Um, and so I got this opportunity to, to join the bank. And so I went from not managing anyone ever, um, not even in like a retail setting growing up, like I had just no experience with it to all of a sudden leading a team of 40 wealth management professionals uh, with very diverse business um, lines and you know things that we'd been doing for a long time that maybe we shouldn't have been doing anymore and things we needed to add. And so it was just, it was kind of a crash course. And so now I, I make the joke that I've probably forgotten more than I could have ever imagined um, about the technical stuff, uh, which is okay because now where I really live every day is I'm trying to uh, create a firm and a culture that people want to come to work every day and feel really excited and energized about the work that we're doing. They, they see that we're growing and they've got development opportunities with us. And then I, I just love talking strategy and I, I love talking marketing, which is something I get to talk to with, with you all and um, and just new business development and, and where we're going to be in three and five and 15 years from now, kind of that more long-term uh, visioning. I just, I love that stuff. And so my career has definitely shifted a lot, but it's, it's been a good, it's been a good change. I want to come back to the podcasting bit in a second, but I know a lot of attorneys. I happen to marry into a family of attorneys where my husband, literally all of my in-laws are attorneys. Okay. And you don't think of business development, sales, marketing as like typical strengths or interests of yep. Well, in the law field. So when you were working as a trust attorney, did you, is that just natural to you or was it really foreign when you stepped into this new role? Yeah, super foreign. Um, and I'm also an introvert. So doing stuff like this, well, I guess not what I get out of day, out of bed every day to do, um, you know, having conversations. I, I like, I like talking with people and I like solving problems. And so I think that's where I kind of found my role with new business development was I wasn't selling. So traditional sales is I'm going to create this thing and I want it to sell it to as many people as possible by whatever means possible. That's not me. I hate that. I hate that approach. It's just kind of screams against everything that I, I like and I think about and I'm engaged with. And so um, really, I love to help people solve problems and I love to help people get to better outcomes. And so for me, moving into a new business development role, it was more just doing that. It was meeting with people and talking with other professionals and saying, what can we do to get your clients and our clients in, in better spots and solve some problems and help them live better lives? And for me, that plus a lot of caffeine to get over my introverted <laughs> um, lack of energy to go out and mingle um, really helped me find a role there. And now I get to do that as well. It's a little different because I'm kind of representing the firm more broadly and talking about our strategy and how people can fit with us. So it's a little bit different, but I, it's still one of the favorite things that, that I get to do. 
And you're a younger professional. So I feel like your story will probably resonate with other younger, you know, next gen G2 financial advisors and wealth managers that are thinking about their career and opportunities and their career ahead of them. And it sounds like you took a huge leap, right? From an attorney to leading a team of 40. So can you share with other advisors, wealth managers that are up and coming and looking at opportunities in front of them, you know, any encouragement or how to overcome some challenges that you may be were able to overcome, you know, was there any self-confidence or like lack of belief in yourself? Any advice you could give to other people that might be in a similar situation? Sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. Um, sometimes I look back on where I was when I started and how little I knew. So I think that's one thing I was listening to a podcast this morning that investors, as they get older, will self-report that they know less about investing the longer they've been doing it. Um, I feel the same way about managing people sometimes. It's, you know, I, I assumed one thing going into it. And the, the reality of it was you have to be really passionate about people and you have to be really um, passionate about growing people and developing. And, you know, it, that's something for me, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily have all the skills, I think, just naturally um, or by training that maybe somebody would it, in more of a traditional path where you, you're, um, you're an independent contributor and then all of a sudden maybe you're managing one or two people and you kind of get to grow into that role. I, I had really stepped into the fire and kind of a crash course in, in this. And so I had to really learn on the fly and made a lot of mistakes. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing too, is for younger professionals that want to, you know, advance their careers, you know, I always look at career advancement in two ways. You know, this is kind of comes more out of other fields as well, that you can be a really highly compensated professional who doesn't manage anybody who just is really, really good at your job. You know, think attorneys, think, you know, CPAs, maybe they don't manage anybody, but maybe they're subject matter experts and they can get paid for that and they do a great job there. I think instinctively, we all think about climbing the ladder. And that next step for a lot of people means I have to manage people. And so when you take that on, that's where it kind of comes back to, I've forgotten so much about being a subject matter expert because the new things that come into your head crowd out the old stuff. Um, so if, if for younger professionals, if they're thinking about going down this route and, and doing more management, it just becomes so much less about you. And you spend your time really obsessing about how other people are coming to work and whether or not you are providing good jobs, good advancement opportunities, and people are happy and they're engaged and they like what they do. And then, you know, you're trying to protect them in some, you know, some ways from, you know, from, from you know, bad clients or things like that. I mean, you just, you take on a really different approach um, and it's a good thing and it's, um, but it's just, it's just really, really different. So it, I, I couldn't have guessed how different my career and the things that I would think about would have been shifting from being kind of an individual contributor to, to a manager. But now I'm at the point where I, I wouldn't trade it for, for anything. 
I love when you brought up like people think about climbing the corporate ladder. And I think it's like still very much ingrained with us, even though the workplace has dramatically changed, especially with, you know, COVID being virtual, but it's no longer a linear career path, right? And when we're thinking about the leading and financial advisors, they're helping clients live in a way where their money helps them live the type of life they want. And it's different for each person. So career success looks different for each person. And what's meaningful for each person is really different. And I know on your podcast, the when you said one of the most popular episodes was keeping up with the Joneses, right? Yeah. So was that a surprise to you? What did you learn from that? And like, what does it indicate to you? Yeah. Um, it is a little bit of, it was a surprise to me, I would say. So we've done almost 20 episodes now. That was our very first episode and it continues to be our highest performing episode. Um, and so I always think, well, what can I learn from that? What was it about that episode that people found the most interesting? And I think a couple things. Number one, I think people just want to know what other people do, whether that's about what kind of clothes they buy, what kind of car they drive, uh, how they raise their kids, what schools they go to, and certainly about money. But the thing about money is like, we can talk about clothes, we can talk about schools, we can talk about some of these other more socially acceptable topics, but we don't talk about money. And that's something I'm really, really passionate about is, and that's one of the reasons why we started the podcast is I wanna get people talking about money. So I think the popularity of that episode shows that others are curious. They have maybe questions about how they're do doing with their own money, if they're doing the right things, and they want to know what other people are doing, but they, maybe they're too afraid to ask. And so, you know, as part of the podcast now, based on, again, it's what, what do we learn? Um, uh, with that episode, I thought, I think other people would find value in hearing from other folks that look and act just like they do. So part of the podcast, we're doing like a little mini series in there. It's called How We Money, which we're gonna interview other individuals or couples and have them really open up about money and talk about what do they struggle with? What are they passionate about? What has worked well? What hasn't worked well? What keeps them up at night? And it's really an effort to get people to feel more open to talk about money and it's to, answer hopefully those questions that they're too afraid to ask their neighbors or their family about. Um, because I believe if we don't talk about this stuff more as a society, as a country, and just as individuals, we're going to be in a worse off place. We need to get this to be more socially acceptable than it is today. And hopefully this helps. Let's go back to before you were podcasting. What made you decide I think think we should do a podcast. Like, what was that decision making process like? Yeah, it's you know, it's a great question. Again, especially coming from an introvert, right? I don't, yeah. I don't feel like I thrive and um, want the spotlight. And so, um, but what I do love to do is I do love to teach, mm. and I love to help. So when I was kind of in that more subject matter expert role. And I was, you know, really ingrained with trust law and um, in administration. I did a lot of um, classes. I did a lot of um, trainings with other professionals to take things that I had learned 
and help them apply that to their practices. And I, you know, again, you know, you kind of get over the fear of doing those things in front of your peers and um, putting yourself out there like, you know, um, more than sometimes maybe you even do. You know, once you get over those fears, I just felt so good about doing those things. And I thought, what can I do to kind of scratch that itch that I have to educate others and to help and take this knowledge that I've built up, knowledge that my team has, and, and frankly, knowledge that other national and local guests have. Like, how can we take that knowledge and give that to people in a way that's not salesy, that's not, um, you know, harsh. It's just kind of out there and they consume what they want to consume, but we can be that resource for people to, to help them. And so it, I sat on the idea for probably over a year. Like I finally declared, I want to do a podcast. We even paid a producer who produces the podcast now like a year before I even launched an episode and he'll, he'll admit, he's like, I didn't think you were going to do that thing. I'm like, I wasn't sure either. I just had to warm up to the idea. It's the same with video and just all the new advancements that we do with the show. It just takes me a minute to get comfortable with it. And then we go and, and we figure it out. So, I mean, I remember before we launched the new school, I was nervous. Yeah. You know, everything, all those things roll through your head am I the right person to do this? Am I yeah. going to have enough to talk about? Will it be interesting? Will anyone care? So, mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like you had similar thoughts running through your head. Yeah. I mean, the imposter syndrome is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of times, and I still struggle with that. I think, you know, who am I to, um, to be out here on this platform talking to people about their money? I mean, there's um, certainly tons of people who know more than I do. Um, and, but I had to say, you know what, I am, I don't need to be the subject matter expert in everything. I just need to be a person who's willing to provide a forum to get this knowledge out, whether it's coming from me or whether it's coming from a guest or someone on my team, I need to be willing to provide the forum to disseminate that information. And if that means I suck it up and, you know, um, try to look good on camera and, 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 say, you know, talk uh, in a way that people make it makes sense to provide this education then and so be it I'll, I'll, I, I happily do it and when I get comments back from people that you know sometimes I'll do an episode and I think mm, that was okay but then someone will call in the email and say hey that was awesome I really learned something from that I'd like to talk with you guys more about that or I went and I talked to my attorney and we figured some things out then it's like okay yeah, that's enough fuel for me to keep to keep going. And now we're about to start season three, which is hard for me to believe. It's uh, but it's exciting. I love so much that you were such like the hesitant star, you know, because I feel like you have like such inherent star power, and I really think it comes from your ability. And I, I you know, I'm obviously not from the Midwest, but I've learned a lot about the culture from you, like what is, and I have friends from the Midwest, but I'm not inherently from there. And what I really get is that, you know, it's a, it's a very grounded kind of like, you know, culture. And so you're not really showing up to be anything other than yourself, because that's what, that's how you connect with people, which is really about authenticity and vulnerability. So I think a lot of what really resonates is your ability to just show up and be yourself. 
Well, yeah, you know, I, I'd say I can't be anything other than who I am. Um, you know, one thing about the role I'm in um, now, I've had a crash course in who I am and who I want to be professionally and personally and just getting comfortable with admitting things I don't know or admitting things that I don't want to do. Um, I would hardly say that I'm a star. Thank you very much. <laughs> very kind. Um, you know, I just, it, it's, it's easy for me to be authentic at this stage of my career than it would have been five, 10 years ago when I was just starting off and I thought I had to be something to fit a role. I think kind of as you move through your career, hopefully you figure out what your your lane is, not that you can't deviate or not that you can't change. But, you know, when I took on this role, I had to figure out what is my lane and what strengths do I have that I can bring to this role, hopefully help others and to, to have our, our organization be a success. And again, part of my lane is to say, I still like to, to educate. I still like to be out front. I still like to be leading in that way to, to give people tools to help themselves or to give people an avenue to find someone like us to, to help them with this stuff. And so that's one of the things I'm most proud of doing. And I, I love doing, I can't imagine doing it. I certainly wouldn't have imagined I would be making videos uh, or making podcasts, but I love what happens because of it. Um, and so I'll continue to do it and we'll continue to evolve and find new ways. I mean, you know, you guys tell me I have to be on Instagram or whatever, <laughs> whatever platforms, like we'll go there, we'll do it as long as we can find the people to communicate this information to. So you are uh, the leader of the wealth management team and the wealth management services within a larger bank. And so in some ways you're very similar to executives at other RIA firms, very sizable business. And in some ways you're, it's different because you're operating within the structure of a bank. Yeah. So when you had the idea to do a podcast, did you have to really sell it? You know, here's why I want to do it. And here's what I expect to get out of it. Here's the investment, but here's why it's worth it. Um, did you, did you feel like you had to know all those answers to be able to sell the costs? I mean, podcasts don't have to be expensive. You can actually produce them on your own with no costs at all, but you have, you have a producer and you, there's, there's the cost that you've invested into it. So is that something you really had to sell to the bank? Um, no, not really. Um, one of the things, again, you keep learning more and more about yourself and where you want to work and what kind of fills your bucket. One of the things that I uh, appreciate most about where I work and what I do is I have a high degree of autonomy. And um, and so my manager um, who leads the bank, you know, he really has put it on me to say, figure out the things that we need to do to grow the wealth management area. And, you know, one of those things happens to be marketing. Obviously, we have to do those those types of things. And so um, really, I have gotten a lot of latitude to try new things. Um, what I've talked to um, the leadership team of the bank about is, you know, financial services, but in particular, wealth management is changing incredibly rapidly. I always say that the ground is shifting between, you know, beneath our feet at any given moment. And for us to meet our current clients, 
but more importantly, our future clients, where they are, we're going to have to deliver our messages in different ways than we have in the past. I really can't stand sales. You know, I'm, I like new business development. I like solving problems, but I really hate sales. And financial services historically has been built on a foundation of sales. It's again, can we create a product that is very profitable that we can sell to the most people possible? I believe, and it's something I talk with you know my team about all the time. Uh, Kyle, who works on my team, who heads up our investment area, you know, we always make the comment that you know, people don't believe what you say any longer, um, what you say about yourself. I guess. So the brochures and all those sorts of things, those are nice. The commercials, all the glitz, that's all fine. And there's a, a place for that. But people want to see you in action. And so for us, what does that look like? That is, what's an article that we can do? And this is content that we create and that we put out there. This is not something that we buy. This is our thoughts on what's happening. So is it a blog post? Is it a podcast? Is it a chart? Is it just passing along things that we're reading that we find are really, really interesting right now? What are those things that we can put out there that people can say, you know, I don't have a need today, but when I do, I'm going to think of these folks because this is what I believe. And they look at things the way I do, and they're not trying to sell me something I don't need which is again, part of our, the fiduciary wrapper that we put around our services. Um, you know, they're looking at the world in a way that makes sense to me. And so when I do have that need, they're going to be the people I call content creation, I think is the future of marketing. Um, and so we tried it, we have dipped our toe in the water a little bit, and now we've just gone uh, all in because I think that is the way that people are going to come to us in the future is by consuming the content that we create. I mean, I'm like sitting here quietly being like, yeah, yeah. But like, really, I want to be like standing up and applauding you and being like, preach, Adam, preach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I think what you're really, really clear on, which is like, I think the the secret to it is people who work with you are matching you in worldviews, right? Yeah. So it's your unique take on what you believe. You're very clear that the bank is an integral part of your community. Mm. You're really clear on who you want to serve, like in your community, you're not diverging from that. And also as you take on these mediums, you're not with these new mediums of like podcasting, and video, you're demonstrating a, a fundamental principle that we believe in from the new school uh, ethos, which is you don't tell, you demonstrate, right? Because like we can tell when we're being sold to, we can tell when someone's not speaking from firsthand experience, right? And so the content that really resonates is when it's firsthand authentic content and you're speaking from first from firsthand experience. But beyond that, that you're using these mediums as a vehicle to create change, to connect with the people that you specifically want to connect to. And it's not about, like I made the comment that you're a star and you are, but it's not about being a Kardashian and like right. getting recognition. It's really about serving and connecting specific types of people who would work 
really well with you that you specifically can serve? Yeah. No, it's those are great points. Um, and it really echoes everything that I believe um, about uh, about marketing, about selling financial services and about where our industry is going. You know, I think the trust factor um, has been eroded um, and it continues to be eroded. And 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 frankly, rightfully so, because financial services has not done itself any favors um, over the decades about some of the products and services that have been put out there. Um, and in the future, I think, especially as we move into new generations of, of clients, they want to hear and see things differently and their expectations and where they go to find information. All of that has changed. Um, the industry just hasn't caught up yet. And it may seem a little odd for a bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota to be talking about this stuff but you know my team and i really pride ourselves on you know we're younger so we're not 40-year industry vets we um we see things through a different lens i think and part of that lens is what's our own experience with accumulating wealth and what are our needs you know our generation had student loans i had a ton of them right so I have those scars. Other people on my team have different scars. So we're able to attack this from a lens of saying, well, what do we need? You know, we're in our 30s or 40s or whatever it is. Like, what is it that we need? And is that really even available? I mean, part of some of the things that we've done have been born out of frustration for me personally if, that there just aren't options for people like us. Um, the industry is really geared towards um, serving those with quite a bit of money, which is fine. And we do that as well. But there is a next generation that's coming along. And frankly, our current clients that have a lot of money, they want options for their kids and for their grandkids to be taken care of, just like we took care of them. And the industry just isn't set up to serve those folks. And so we've made investments now um, at our firm to, to work with newer clients and younger clients and those who are in the kind of accumulation stage to help them where they are today. And then our thought is they're going to be with us for a long period of time, but they don't want to read a pamphlet. You know, they're just, they're just not interested in consuming that. But when they're doing dishes or they're sitting between swim meets, um, yeah, they'll throw on their headphones and listen to a podcast. So that's where we have to be. Absolutely. I want to also point out one thing you said a moment ago, which is you can't buy this content. And I think that's so important for our community of advisors and wealth managers to hear because content is hard. It's the hardest yeah. part about marketing is creating really great content that resonates with the right people at the right time. And that inspires them to some type of action, whatever that action may be. It's really difficult to do. And so I think many people in this space sort of say, well, I just want to buy it. There's yeah. libraries of content. I can just buy it. And I've been doing this. I started as an intern in this industry almost 20 years ago. And in that period of time, I've never seen canned templated libraries of content work ever because it's just not authentic. It's, right. it's content that's written for the masses. It's content that is quite generic. And sure, you can customize 
the, you know, the opener and the closing and they'll tell you and they'll give you, you know, these firms will give you statistics about how much that customization helps and improves open rates and blah, blah, blah. I just don't buy it. I've never seen it work. Yeah. And I think that your message is so crucial because the way of the future is creating really meaningful connections with people mm. to your point so that when they have a need, they think of you. Yeah. It's not so that when they hear your podcast, they say, I'm going to call Adam right now and I'm going to give him all my money, you know, mm. like, that's not the point. You've recognized that. And so having a content strategy that is very authentic to you as a person, but also to First National Bank of Sioux Falls as a brand and certainly your division um, or the wealth management services like that is just it's it is the way forward for you. You've recognized that you're experiencing that today. What are some of the tangible outcomes or like most favorite stories? Has anyone come in and become a client from the podcast or like how are you defining success? Yeah, um, it, it's difficult um, because marketing, you know, I heard someone say one time, you know, marketing is you know, you're putting things out there and the payoff will come eventually, but it's it's kind of a long, it's a long tail to it. Um, for me, someone who um, craves immediacy and certainty, like, I hate that. Like, I, it, you know, putting out a podcast episode and going, well, I hope it helps people, I hope it resonates, and I hope someday someone will call me because of it. Um, so there is certainly an element to that as there is with any marketing, whether it's curated personal content that you do or off the shelf content that you buy. Uh, there's just a latency to it. Now, some of the fun stories that we've seen, I had uh, a prospect come in and one of the first things they said, as we hadn't even gotten in the room yet, and they said, by the way, I've listened to every episode of the podcast, so I already know what you're gonna say and we're ready to go. <laughs> it's like. Okay, that's good, right? And the, the husband and wife were, you know, bickering back and forth about one of the episodes and how they saw it differently. And so, um, so you get those sort of things. And then we've gotten people who, you know, we had someone from the East Coast reach out a couple of weeks ago who found our podcast somehow and said, "I really like your guys' story. Um, I like the way you approach the financial services. Can I work with you?" despite the fact I live on the East Coast and not in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And it's like, yeah, absolutely, you can, it's great. And so we've gotten a lot of that, um, you know, which which is nice. It's always great to see that immediate payoff to marketing to say we can point to this handful of clients over the past few months that we've gotten just because of the podcast, that's great. But the other benefit to it is our clients can't hear from us every day. That's not a scalable model for any business, let alone financial services. You can only be in front of your clients so many ways uh, without bothering them. And so one of the benefits of the podcast that maybe I wasn't anticipating is how much our current clients have appreciated it. And they get to hear from us in between times that we would normally reach out to them. In between their normal meeting cadence or just the check-ins, they're able to consume our content, what we're thinking about the markets or what's happened with, you know, cryptocurrencies or, you know, whatever it is, or, you know, the housing market, they get to hear from us without even hearing from us. 
And so they get to elect into how much they hear from us. So um, the comments and the feedback we've gotten from our current clients have been fantastic. Um, it's also gone out to our bank customers and we've gotten some good feedback that way. And then they've asked their bankers to say, hey, you know, what about an introduction to this wealth management area? I, I like some of the stuff that they're doing. So all those things were a little bit unexpected. I didn't anticipate when I did the podcast that we would get any immediate benefit necessarily. I thought it was going to be something that we'd try and I'd probably be really frustrated by it because it's a lot of work sometimes. Um, and you don't get an immediate payoff, but hopefully it'll pay off in the future. Um, we've gotten some immediate payoff, which has been nice. It helps you to keep going. And then a lot of positive reinforcement has, has really helped kind of set the stage for where we want to go with the podcast and, um, and help our current clients as well as prospects. Adam, I feel like I need to come to Sioux Falls, South Dakota and check it out. <laughs> Come on anytime, Candace. <laughs> love to have you. Yeah. Um, this has been such a delight for us to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah. One question we always close out with when we ask all of our guests, which is, what does the new school mean to you? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. Um, and it's probably a lot of what we've talked about already today. The new school to me is again, the old model of delivering financial services and messaging is, is broken irrevocably. And, and that's a good thing. Um, you'll still see plenty of providers doing commercials that tug on your heartstrings or have a popular song or a former quarterback on them. Like that stuff, it's not going away tomorrow, but I think some of that stuff will fade over time. To me, the new school is really connecting with um, clients connecting with prospects in a really personal way, in a way, in a format which they elect into. So again, that comes back to putting out content, putting out options for people to, um, to consume what it is you're doing to get to know you, but putting it on their schedule. Um, again, I don't like sales. I don't like high pressure sales in particular. So for us as consumer um, appetites change and that trust factor erodes and they just look for new ways to consume information and to get to know people before they get to know them. That is really the new school to me is to put that stuff out there and pr provide great content, get to people, get people to know you as individuals. So it's important for them to know us more than I'm Adam Cox, Chief Wealth Management Officer. It's like, I'm Adam Cox that has a weird diet or whatever, it, you know, get to know us as individuals and get to elect into working with us. Mm, so good. Where can people find you and listen into the podcast? Yeah, uh, so you can find us on the bank's website. It's the First National Bank in Sioux Falls. And uh, the podcast is Common Sense on the Prairie. You can find it wherever you stream podcasts. You can find it on YouTube. Um, and, uh, you know, as always, I'd love for people to engage with our, our content. Give us feedback on what we're doing, how we can get better. This is a, this is a learning process. We certainly don't have it all figured out. We feel like we're just, uh, we're just starting and we're just learning and we're going to get better. But our goal is to get better. And so people uh, want to engage with our content. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for coming on, Adam. No, thank you both. Appreciate it.